I'm Pastor Dustin. I'm one of the pastors here at Life Church, and welcome to Church Online. If this is your first time watching us, we'd love to hear from you. Just leave a comment or a like, and let us know that you're watching. And also, if you need anything, you can always visit us at lifechurchutah.com, and we'd love to be able to pray with you about anything. If you'd like to participate in giving today, you can do so by texting the word LCGIVE to the number on the screen. Once again, thank you for watching Church Online here at Life Church Utah. God bless. Well, good morning, everyone. I guess it's almost afternoon, isn't it? But um, but we'll still say good morning. Um, yeah, it's a it's a wonderful privilege to be here at Life Church. I've had the, the privilege of speaking here a few times, and uh, so for those of you who have been there those other times, I'm sorry, it's going to be just as bad today as it was those other times. So there's just nothing I can do about that. But yeah, we um, when we came here to to Salt Lake City. Uh, we moved here in, I think it was 2005. And we came in and uh, our boys uh, started to go to, or our oldest went to preschool with Carter Heckathorne. And uh, I remember we came to Life Church. We were on staff at Mount Calvary Family Worship Center in, in West Valley. So it's just a, another Assemblies of God church that's relatively nearby. And uh, I think the church was doing a harvest party or a festival, or I don't know what, what the, the exact term was. But we came because our, our son had heard about it at school from Carter. And so we came, and I'll never forget uh, when, when Karen came and introduced herself to us, and we just felt so um, welcomed, and, and just uh, it was just such a friendly atmosphere. You know, when you're the new person that's in a place, you never know exactly what's going to go on. And then uh, she introduced us to Pastor John, and so they've been very great friends for a long time and have always made us feel very uh, welcomed and just part of the family. And so, uh, so I feel like I'm amongst family this morning, so, uh, so I hope that, that you'll feel the same way. But it's a blessing and a privilege to be here. It's also a privilege to have been, we just came off the mission field in May. We were one of the, the missionaries that Life Church had been supporting. And um, I want to say thank you. Life Church was our, our number one giver of financial support while we were on the mission field. This was our, our top giving church. And so thank you very much for those of you who go out of your way to be generous in the area of missions, you, you helped our family, you helped our ministry in Honduras over the last several years. But we came home in May planning to raise funds and go back home to Honduras. And uh, it was the first week of June that those plans got changed for us when we were elected to a leadership position inside the district. So we kind of help run uh, a, a system of, of Spanish and bilingual churches here in the Rocky Mountain region from New Mexico all the way up to Montana and covering Idaho and, 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 Monta and Utah as well. And so uh, we weren't expecting that. It was something that we didn't know was coming. We just kind of got surprised by it. God has a way of surprising us sometimes. And so we were, we were planning to go back to Central America. And now we've recently moved to Denver. We've been in our home there for about a month and uh, still getting settled in. But God has been good. And so once again, I want to thank you for your generosity, your kindness towards us over the last several years. And again, thank you for allowing me to be here this morning and share uh, a little bit from the Word of God with you as well. Um, I, uh, I know that Life Church is in transition right now. And transition is something I know a lot about. It's kind of been the story of my life for the last few years. We transitioned out of being pastors and becoming missionaries. Then we transitioned from Utah to Costa Rica. And let me tell you, there's a lot of differences between Utah and Costa Rica. Um, then we transferred, transitioned from Costa Rica to Honduras, and there's a lot of differences there too. And then from Honduras 
back to the U.S., to Missouri briefly, and then now to Denver. We know transition, and we know how hard it is. Um, Honestly, the hardest transition in all of this has been the transition back to the United States. You would think it'd be hard to go to another country, but there's just something, there's an excitement about it that you're like, yeah, we live in this other country, we do this and, and that, and that transition was easier. Coming back here was harder, and it still has been hard. I, I, I won't want to say it's in past tense. It's still been difficult for us. And so we understand the difficulty of transition and that right now you're just a few weeks away from receiving your new pastor. Um, I know many of you are still probably missing Pastor Jim. Pastor Jim was a great friend to us as well. In fact, when I took over as the lead pastor at Mount Calvary, the first person who called me was Pastor Jim, and uh, he called me to, to congratulate me, ask me how he could pray for me, and so I miss Pastor Jim too. So we, we know how those things go. Uh, we, we, we understand. And so I want to talk to you for a couple of minutes this morning kind of about this transition, about the things that, come, that are coming down the road for you, and maybe we can kind of uh, come to a place where... Uh, we're, we're a little bit more comfortable with what's going on. Is that okay? Can we do that this morning? It's really, I'm so glad you agreed because I was really planning on doing that. And so it would have been really awkward if you had said no. And uh, we would just ended, I guess, early and I would have gone home. But, um, but so I'm super glad that you're on board with this. We're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 14. I'm going to read those scriptures in just a moment. But if you're, uh, if you're opening your app or you're flipping through the pages, we're going to be in 1 Samuel 14 in just a moment. And this morning we're going to talk about a guy named... Jonathan. Now, I know that um, in a great church like this, we have people here who know the Bible inside and out, and we have people here who maybe don't know all these little stories. So I'm going to take just a moment to kind of explain who Jonathan is and how we got to the point in the story where we're going we're gonna to read today. Um, Jonathan, I like, I like Jonathan. We usually refer to Jonathan as either King David's friend or King Saul's son. But today's story is just about Jonathan, and it's just about him and how awesome of a guy he was. He was a really great warrior in his own right, although we don't really give the guy a lot of credit for that. But he was, he was a mighty man, a brave man, and uh, so we want to talk a little bit about that today. But here's how, how we get here. Israel, if we go way back, you know, came out of Egypt. They come to the promised land. They set up there, lived there for a couple of hundred years. They have no king, they just have a prophet or maybe a few that are helping kind of direct what's going on. But at some point, Israel says, we want a king. So God gives him a king. And that king's name was Saul. So Saul, uh, I won't go into Saul, but we usually think of Saul as kind of a bad guy. If you reread the story, he's, a, he's not as bad of a guy as you think he is. He did a, a lot of bad things, but I think he was trying to do the right thing, just really messed it up along the way. Anybody ever felt like that? trying to do the right thing. You just mess it up pretty good. That's why I identify a lot with King Saul because I feel like I've got good intentions. I just don't always get it done the right way. But so King Saul has a son named Jonathan. And him being the king, his son has, has kind of grown up learning the art of warfare. And so they, uh, they have this army of about 3,000 highly trained soldiers and they come against another army known as the Philistines, the people of the Philistines. And the Philistine army is pretty tough. And unfortunately, that army of 3,000 highly trained soldiers turns into 600 really scared soldiers. And um, so when we pick up the story here, the Philistines control all of the territory around Israel. They've even taken control, uh, chapter 13 of 1 Samuel tells us they've taken control of all the blacksmiths in the area and they've confiscated all the swords 
and the blacksmiths aren't allowed to make any more swords. So we've got 600 soldiers. They have two swords. The king has one, and Jonathan has the other. 600 guys, two swords, surrounding army. They're terrified. They're hiding out. And we pick up the story here with Jonathan, who one day wakes up and just decides he's had enough of this, and he's going to do something about it. So in 1 Samuel chapter 14, starting in verse 6, this is Jonathan speaking to start. And he says, let's go across to the outpost of those pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. Do what you think is best, the armor bearer replied. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. All right, then Jonathan said to him, we'll cross over and we'll let them see us. If they say to us, stay where you are or we'll kill you, then we'll stop and we'll not go up to them. But if they say, come on up and fight, then we'll go up. That will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. When the, enemy, when the Philistines saw them coming, they shouted, look, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. Then the men of the, the outpost shouted to Jonathan, come on up here and we'll teach you a lesson. Come on, climb right behind me, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, for the Lord will help us defeat them. So they climbed up using both hands and feet, and the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed those who came behind them. They killed some 20 men in all, and their bodies were scattered about, uh, over about a half an acre. Suddenly, panic broke out in the Philistine army, both in the camp and in the field, including even the outposts and raiding parties. And just then an earthquake struck, struck and everyone was terrified. I'm going to stop reading there. I'll give you kind of the the aftermath, what happens after this. So to repaint this picture, Jonathan gets out, he takes his sword and his armor bearer, and he says, we're going to go fight the Philistines. If they tell us, stop right there, we're coming down, then we, that's a bad sign. We're going to run away, <laughs> or, or this isn't going to go our way. If they say, come on up here and we'll fight, then we're going to go up to them, and we're going to fight them, and, and maybe God's going to do something good. So this is, after that happens, they kill 20 guys, there's chaos in the Philistine army, and Saul and his other you know, 598 guys, they come out of hiding because they hear all the commotion. They end up fighting the Philistines and totally destroying them. And so God does an amazing, amazing, amazing thing that day. And it all started when Jonathan decided that he'd had enough of living in fear. That he'd had enough of hiding out and just waiting to die. It? It's sometimes easy to do in life, especially as a believer. We feel like maybe there's not, God's not really going to do the things that he told us he was going to do, so we're just going to kind of wait here until it's all over. But Jonathan said, no, that's not the way I'm going to do this. I'm going to get out, and we're going to fight. And I love what he says. He says, perhaps the Lord will help us. Perhaps. Now, I don't know about you, I don't like risking my life based on perhaps. <laughs> it's not, that's just kind of not my style. I'm, I, I, I like sure things, you know. I like, hey, the odds are in our favor. But, but Jonathan says perhaps, because here's the deal. At some point, the Philistines are going to come down. They're going to kill him anyway. At some point, if he stays there hiding, he's going to live a miserable life, and eventually he'll die at the hands of his enemies. But instead, he says, you know what? I've had enough of this. I'm going to go out. I'm going to do something about this. And if I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down swinging. And so he says, perhaps the Lord will help us. 
And I love what he says right after that. He says, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. I love that kind of confidence. I love when somebody says, you know what, enough is enough. I'm going to get something done here. So Jonathan says, perhaps the Lord will help us. Because Jonathan understood something that's vitally important for all of us as followers of Christ. And that is, when you are a servant of the Most High God, the most dangerous thing you can do is nothing. I want to say it one more time because that's a little bit backwards, but I want to say it one more time. When you're a servant of the Most High God, the most dangerous thing you can do is nothing because God's a God of action. He's a God that's in the mix. He's a God that's so much in the mix that he put on human flesh and got in the mix with us. That's how in the mix he is. God's always in the middle of the battle. And when we're hanging out on the side waiting to see how it's going to turn out, we're missing God. We're missing where he is. We're missing what he has for us because we're scared and we're waiting to see what happens next. And God says, I'm in here. I'm fighting this. Come with me. And so Jonathan, understanding that, says, perhaps the Lord will help us today for nothing can hinder the Lord. So he goes out and he fights this battle and God does a miracle because he says, perhaps God will help us. Church, I believe with all my heart that God is a God who is looking for perhaps people. He's looking for people who will, who will take up their sword. Remember, Jonathan, they don't, he only had one sword. There's two guys, one sword. He's, he's, God's looking for people who will take up the one sword. They may not feel prepared. They may not feel like they've got everything they need to fight the battle, but God's looking for somebody who will say, I'll go. I'll go fight the fight. I'll go do whatever I have to do to make sure that I'm in the center of God's will. I will be a perhaps person. God's looking for men and women that are willing to go into seemingly impossible situations and say, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He'll win the battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. I don't know if you've ever felt outnumbered by your circumstances, but it's moments like that that can turn into moments like this if we just believe. And this isn't just a, you know, believe like we just, we believe in fairy tales, we believe in this or that or whatever. This is, this is a sold out belief. This is wholehearted faith saying, I know that I know that I know that my God is faithful. And I know that I know that I know that he loves me. I know he made a promise to protect me. I know he made a promise to my family. And so because I know these things, I'm going to go fight an impossible fight. I'm going to step into a situation and basically wait for God's miracle to come because I know it's on the way. Church, God is looking for perhaps people. He's looking for warriors that will defy the odds, that will even defy logic. He's looking for men and women that are willing to let him show his glory and his power through their lives. You know the reason we don't see more, more miracles in the world today is because we have so few people that believe God can really do it. We have so few people that are willing to say, God, I know you can do it, and here I am. Use me. I'll, go, I'll, I'll climb the cliff. I'll go into the impossible situation. I'll do something that doesn't make sense because you told me to. The reason we don't see miracles, church, is because 
I don't think we believe enough to risk ourselves for them. Because at the end of the day, if it doesn't happen, we're going to look foolish. And that's why I think, um, you know, Paul says in the New Testament that, that God's wisdom confounds the wisdom of the world. God uses people that, that we wouldn't think he would normally use. And I've always kind of jokingly said that I think God uses my life because I already look foolish. So it's not a big stretch if I have to look foolish again at the end of the story. So I, uh, I, sometimes God just uses our weakness as a, as a blessing to us. But church, I believe that, that God is looking for perhaps people in this congregation because what's coming is kind of scary. I'm not saying that Pastor Rich is kind of scary. I've never met him before. Um, so please, Pastor Rich, if you hear this, I didn't say anything bad about you. Um, but what's coming is scary. You know why it's scary? You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen. You can plan for these things. I'm, an, I'm a plan A to plan Z kind of guy. I like to have the plan I want to happen, the two or three plans that maybe could happen, and then I plan like a million alternatives because I want to know what's coming next. That's why sometimes it's hard for a person like me to really trust God because I, I have to lay it out there and say, God, if none of my plans work, I know that you're still in the mix. I know you're still in the middle of this. And church, what's coming down the road for Life Church? I know that God has a plan for Life Church, and I know it because I used to live here. I spent nine years here in Salt Lake City in the, in the general area, West Valley, Taylorsville. I know that God has a plan for the city, and I know that Life Church is an important part of that plan for this city. And so I know that God's going to do something amazing here because God's a God of his word. God wants to touch people's lives. God wants to change and transform this city. He wants to do things that he, he doesn't do anywhere else, and he wants to do it right here. And I know that God needs every Bible-believing church in the city in order to get it done. So I know God's going to use Life Church. I know he has great plans in store. But when we look ahead, it's a little scary. It's kind of like what Jonathan and the other soldiers must have seen. In chapter, uh, the first part of chapter 14, it describes the terrain around where they were hiding, where the Israelite army was hiding. It describes the, the cliffs as being really treacherous and, and rocky and very difficult. And, and, uh, and, and sometimes when we look out, we look to the future, that's what it looks like to us. It looks very difficult. It looks very hard and harsh and uninviting, and we're not sure we really want to go there. But God's looking for perhaps people from Life Church that will say, perhaps God's going to do something great here. And I'm going to trust God, and we're going to go forward, and we're going to see the scary things that come, and we're not going to let that hold us back. And I believe that, that God is bringing a perhaps pastor to this church. Again, I don't know Pastor Rich for anything. The first time I saw him was on the, the announcement in the first service. First time I ever saw the guy. So I don't know him. He didn't pay me for this, although if he wants to send something, um, you know, I'll, get, I'll leave my address somewhere. But, but, uh, uh, but, but God's bringing a perhaps pastor. Because, you know what, how I know that? Because he wouldn't be coming here if he didn't believe God was going to do something amazing. He wouldn't be leaving wherever he is now and coming here if he didn't believe this is what God had. And church, if God's putting all this stuff together, he's going to do something amazing. If God's taking all these pieces from all, all the places that you've all come from, all of your history, all of your past, because the church isn't just about the person who stands at the front. You're the church. And so wherever you've come from, the stuff you're going through, combined with your new pastor and everything else, God is putting this all together that, so that something miraculous can happen in this place. 
It's not an accident that you're here. It's not an accident that Pastor Rich is coming. This is going to be a moment that will go down in the history of this church, this neighborhood, this city, that from this moment on, God began to do amazing things like we've never seen before. And I believe that with all of my heart, that God is bringing a perhaps pastor into this situation. But there's one thing I know about the perhaps people, and that's that they rarely act alone. I love that in this story, Jonathan says to his armor bearer, hey, let's go up there. And the armor bearer's like, cool, whatever you say, let's do it. You're the boss, come on. And that sounds like it should be easier, but when you remember, that guy didn't even have a sword. He didn't even have a sword. And the story says that, that Jonathan's taking all the guys on in front, and anybody that tries to sneak up behind him, the armor bearer's taking them out. With what? I'll tell you, the guy must be fighting with his toothbrush or something. He's out there. I don't know what he's doing, but he's fighting people because he knows that God called him to the fight. It doesn't matter how well prepared he is. He's going to go into the fight because that's what God told him to do. That's what his leader said was going to happen. So he went. See, perhaps people run in packs. Perhaps people run in packs. They don't stand alone. We need each other if we're going to see miracles happen. We really need each other. You know, the longer I go in ministry, the longer I have been a believer in, in, uh, or a follower in Christ, the, the more I'm convinced that we really need each other. When I was a kid, I used to think church was just about coming and sitting and listening to the boring old guy that talked in the front. Um, that's what I thought it was. So, and to be fair, my pastor, pastors when I was a kid, they were not boring. It's just that I was a kid. So um, but that's what I thought church was. And I thought church was... You know, maybe every once in a while you have a, a potluck or an activity or something, you know, and, and that's what church was. But what I really realized is church is about community. That's why things like your life groups that are coming up are so important. It's about building community. It's about finding people you can trust, finding somebody that when you say, man, I'm really going through it right now, and I need to share this. with, I just need to get something off my chest. You need to have somebody that you can trust enough to do that. That's what church is. It's about connection. It's about community. It's not about this service. This service is great. And it's a wonderful place to gather together and worship together. But the real work of the church happens when, when it's lunchtime on Tuesday and you've had a really rough morning and you just need to call a friend or text somebody and say, can you pray with me that today's been really hard? That's when the church comes in. That's when life really starts to kick in and you know you need somebody else. So I want to encourage you to get connected in that way if you're not already. But, but the perhaps people always run in packs and they have to trust one another. So this armor bearer just goes up the cliff. He doesn't have a sword. I'm sure he has a weapon of some kind, sharp stick or something. I don't know. But he's got a weapon of some kind. He's doing something. Um, but but he, he, when, the, when uh, Jonathan tells him, let's go, I want to read to you his words. He says, do what you think is best. I'm completely with you, whatever you decide. Church, there's going to be some moments coming down the road when your church leadership, not just your new pastor, but your church leadership is going to say, this is the way we're going. This is the fight we're going to fight. And you may not see it. You may not agree. But you know what? In those moments, that's when you have to know that God's put all this together. And that's when you say, you're the leader. Let's go. I'm with you. Whatever you say, I'm with you. Let's do this. If we go down, we're going down together. If we, if we succeed, we succeed together. If we fail, we fail together. We're going to do this as a team and as a family. I remember um, 
sorry, I'm throwing in a lot more stories than I did in the first service, but um, maybe it makes me more interesting. I don't know. Uh, but the, uh, when we became missionaries, we, uh, our, our, my, uh, it's hard to kind of explain, but there's different districts in the Assemblies of God, and some are language districts. We come from a language district. And they tend to be smaller churches that don't have as much financial power. And so when we became missionaries, uh, somebody in our main office in, in Missouri told us, you know, you should probably consider switching to one of these other districts because you have to raise money. And, uh, and I, there's probably not a lot of money in your district, so you should switch and uh, go a different direction. And I remember looking at that guy, and I knew he had a good heart and good intentions. But I said, you know what? But my district is my family. And so if we're going to succeed, we're going to succeed with them. And if we fail, we fail with them. Because that's just the way it is. I can't just ditch these people. I love them. They're my family. And so, so we stayed. And, and uh, just to make the story, the story shorter, um, the average time to raise your funds in the Assemblies of God is between 18 and 20 months. We raised our funds in 11 months because God just did miracles. He just did something that defied logic. Church, when we decide we're going to stick with who God put us with, there's amazing things that can happen. There's going to be some moments coming down the road where Pastor Ritz is going to say something, and you're going to say, I don't know about that. I don't know if we should do that. But you know what? In those moments, we just need to say, as a church, if we, if we succeed, we succeed together. And if we fail, we fail together. But whatever we do, we're doing it together. And can I tell you, um, I said this later in the message in the first service, but... Um, I, I was lead pastor here for, for a little while at, here in West Valley uh, down the road. And, and uh, so I have some pastoral experience under my belt. And as a missionary, a lot of our ministry was ministering to pastors. And that's part of what my job is now as well. But I tell you that there's, um, there's just something special that happens when you encourage your pastor. And again, Pastor Rich isn't paying, for me, this, paying me for this yet. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> By faith, I'm, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, but uh, there's something amazing that happens in the heart of your leader when you encourage him, when you encourage his family, when you tell him, you know, that was a good message. Uh, when you tell him when he, when when they start something new, because inevitably something new is going to start in the church. And when you say, you know what, Pastor, maybe we don't know how this is going to turn out, but we're with you. We're with you. We're going to stand with you. And we're going we're gonna to watch your back, just like this armor bearer did to Jonathan. We've got you. Whatever happens, you're not going to be alone. There's something amazing that happens in the heart of your pastor when you, when you say things like that. So I just want to encourage you. Be an encouragement to your pastor. And don't just do it for the first couple of months. I'm talking when he's been here 10 years, you still need to be encouraging him. 15 years, you still need to be encouraging him. 20, you still need to be encouraging him because that's the heart of a leader. A leader needs to know that people are with him because when he knows the people are with him or she knows the people are with them, then they can concentrate on the direction they're going and not making sure that everybody's with them. There's a big blessing in that. When you're not so worried about where all the little ducklings have scattered off <laughs> and where everybody's at and what everybody's thinking, when you know you're together, there's amazing things that can happen. And so I just want to encourage you to be an encouragement to your pastor. But I know that God is wanting to do amazing things in this place. So one more thing I want to draw out of this story besides the armor bearer is, um, is how they, they had to climb up the cliff. The word says that... Uh, when they went to climb up, it said they had to use both their hands and feet. Verse 13 says they used both their hands and feet. That means they were completely and totally vulnerable. 
the enemy could have attacked them at any moment. There's nothing they could do because if they let go, they fall. Because they're climbing up a cliff to go fight the enemy. Sometimes, church, when we're being the perhaps people, when we're trusting God, we're moving in faith, and we're trusting God to take care of us, we've got to just trust him with everything we've got. There's no defense at times. There's moments where you're going to be scared. There's moments when you're going to feel vulnerable. But I know that I know that God's going to do something amazing if we'll just trust him and move with him in the things that are happening here at Life Church. I'm going to tell you a quick story. I've totally lost my notes here. I keep scrolling through this like I'm really preaching what's on the page so that you'll think I'm smart. And... Um, <laughs> But I'm totally off track, um, but that's okay, that's okay. Um, <laughs> was it working? Did you think I was smart for a minute? Okay. Hey, as long as it's working, I should just keep, I'm going to keep doing this for the rest of the message. Um, I want to tell you a quick story, though, about when we were, when we were here at Mount Calvary. We did a, an Easter egg hunt that happened every year. And uh, we started it when we came. We came as associate pastors in, in 2005. We started this little Easter egg hunt at the, the park there by the church. And we wanted to kind of bring some of the neighborhood people out and, and minister to them. And, and so we planned this event the first time. And we had about 80, maybe 100 people there. More than half of them, or about half of them were people from the church. And some people from the neighborhood came out as well. We had passed out flyers and tried to advertise it. And it was a great event. We loved it. And over the course of the next few years, it grew a little bit. We went from, you know, 80 to 100 to, we were running somewhere, I think we had two years in a row that we were around the 500 mark. And so, four or 500, we thought, man, this is amazing. God's giving us such a, an incredible opportunity to minister to our neighborhood. And um, I remember one year, I was driving by the park. It was January, and we were starting to think about, you know, the logistics for planning this event for the year. And um, I'm driving by the park. And uh, I felt like just kind of something grabbed my attention. It was almost as if I, I saw something. I'm not claiming I had a vision and it wasn't really anything physical, but it was almost as if I saw the park full of people as I drove by. So I stopped, I turned around in the middle of the street, I uh, pulled into the parking lot at the park and I got out and I stood in the middle of the park, stood in the middle of the grass. And it was just this feeling that, um, that this, the park was full of people. And it is a big park, so that's not 500 people. And so... I thought, well, you know, maybe God's telling us that we should prepare for a bigger crowd this year. So I went back to the church. We went into staff meeting, and I told my, my pastoral staff, I said, hey, we're going to do the Easter egg hunt this year, and we need to prepare for 2,000 people. And um, I loved their response. I could tell they thought I was a little off, but they, they knew me by then. I am a little off, you know. That's the best part, of, that's part, the best part about serving Jesus is he didn't fix my craziness. He just uses it. So, um, so I, uh, I told them, and they were like, okay, yeah, okay, we'll plan for 2,000. Because at the end of the day, it was probably me that was going to look foolish, but they were like, you know what, pastor, we've got your back. Let's do this, 2,000. So I went, I told the church, and I told the church leadership, and, and it was kind of a similar response. Everybody was kind of like, you know, this may work, it may not, but you know what, let's go for it. Pastor says, let's plan for 2,000, let's plan for 2,000. And so I remember uh, the day of the Easter egg hunt. Now, we, we planned over 20,000 Easter eggs. We stuffed them all ourselves. I don't recommend that, by the way. It's a lot of, it's a lot of Easter eggs to stuff. Uh, my kids stuffed. We recruited the neighborhood kids to come and stuff Easter eggs with us. But 20,000 Easter eggs. We had bikes that we were giving away and all this stuff. And I'll never forget the morning that we went out there to set up. And um, 
and just what it meant to me as a leader to see the people of our church planning for 2,000 people, setting it up. Um, we'd never seen that many people at one of our events before, but there they are, putting 20,000 Easter eggs out on the grass and setting up uh, uh, search areas that were you know, four or five times bigger than we had ever done it before. And there they are by faith. And I remember specifically watching people uh, pound little uh, wooden pegs into the ground to set up the markers and just thinking, man, every swing of that hammer is an act of faith that God's going to bring the people that he said he was going to bring. And I just remember watching it, and it meant so much to me as a pastor to know that even though the idea was crazy, they were with me. And if we were going to go down, we were going down together. Um, and if it was going to be a success, it was because God's people had come together. Well, that day, um, I wish I could tell you 2,000 people came, but, but 3,000 people came. And it was... Uh, it was just an amazing thing to see all these people from all over the neighborhood, all over the city just come. We were able to share the gospel with them and pray with people. And it was all because people stood behind something that sounded ridiculous and said, you know what? If we're going to do this, let's do it. If we, if we look foolish, we're all going to look foolish. Because we could have set that up and we could have had less people than the year before. But God did something amazing because there was a group of perhaps people that we're ready to fight the fight. Church, as you go through these next few weeks and months of transition, I want to encourage you. There's going to be moments where you're going to be convinced that your leaders are crazy. <laughs> Please grab your shield, put on your armor, and go to battle with them. Go to battle with them. Tell your pastor, your pastoral staff, we have your back, pastor. Whatever happens, it's going to happen to all of us. Whatever we do, we're doing it together. However we impact this community, we're going to do it together because we at Life Church, it's not about one person, one personality. It's not about a program. It's about being the people of God. And as the people of God, we fight this fight together. Church, I want to encourage you that there's going to be scary moments coming up. There's going to be things that seem impossible, but thankfully we serve a God who they wrote a whole book about how many impossible things he pulls off. We serve the God who can do anything, and if he can do anything, then I know he can use life, church. I know he can change this community because of people just like you saying, Pastor, I'm with you. I'm behind you. Let's go. I know that there are great things in store for this church. And so I want to encourage you along those lines. And I'm going to kind of wrap up this portion. And I'll, I'm going to change direction for just a few moments here at the end. But, but as, as I finish this portion, I just want to say that um, I'll reiterate what I said earlier. When you have church leadership that is encouraged, and again, nobody asked me to say any of this stuff. Nobody knew what I was preaching until I showed up here today. But I know what it's like to be a church leader. I know what it's like to sit in their, their shoes and to plan these things and see how things come out. But when you can lead from, a, from an atmosphere of confidence and excitement and expectation that God's going to do something, man, that's when miracles happen, church. It's pretty rare that miracles happen when we say, well, I don't know. I don't know how this is going to, I don't know. You know, leave the negativity at home and come expecting God to do something amazing. And I know he's going to do it. But let me switch, switch gears for just about three, four minutes here. We talk about the impossible. We talk about 
being a perhaps person, someone who goes into an impossible situation and asks God for a miracle. And I know that in a gathering this size, there is not just one or, or two of you, there are many of you who need a miracle right now. That you're facing a difficult diagnosis, you have a strained relationship with somebody important, maybe a child or your spouse, maybe a parent. You're going through something that maybe nobody knows about, that maybe nobody understands. Difficult financial situation, whatever the situation is, you need God to do something only God can do. And I want to encourage you in this moment, this is not a moment to hide. This is not a moment for fear. This is a moment for you to say, I may not be well equipped. I may not have the odds in my favor. But I know God is with me, and because of that, I'm going into battle. And so as we, as we close the service this morning, we're going to go to battle in prayer. We're going to fight some fights this morning. We're going to ask God for miracles. And so whatever it is that you're going through this morning, whatever it is that you feel like is kind of holding you back from that next level in serving God, that, that the freedom to, to volunteer or, or, or the freedom of your mind to be able to serve him more wholeheartedly, whatever it is, that obstacle that's standing in front of you, I know that God wants to remove it today, but it's not going to go without a fight. So we're going to fight that fight. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.